Well, good morning. You doing well? Thank you. Good to hear some response. You guys doing well? Fantastic. Hey, welcome to everyone. Welcome home to everyone in the room and for those of you that are watching online, whether you're watching in the moment or a bit later on in the week, we still want to welcome you home. So last night, last night, can we talk about last night? Well, I'm going to anyway. We went to the rodeo. It was awesome. It was amazing. It literally was our first rodeo. After that, now I'm able to say, hey, this ain't our first rodeo. But uh, it was amazing. It was an incredible experience. The playlist was astounding, I have to say. I was now, don't get me wrong, I quite like country music, okay? I don't like all country music all the time, but there wasn't much country music last night. I was expecting, it's a rodeo, there's going to be all country music, but it wasn't. And uh, it was amazing. Every voice lifted in worship and passion to the sound of Journey singing, Don't Stop Believing. It was incredible. And for those of you that were there, I'm watching. I could hear them. I could see the voices lifted and the phones lifted in worship to journey. I expect to see the same in church. You know who you are. But the whole thing was amazing. And if you haven't been, you really should go. Last night, it was bull riding. I still want to go and see all the horsey stuff as well, uh, which goes on, but that wasn't happening there last night. But it was an amazing experience, an amazing experience that I think our worship nights that we have here at church should resemble some of the passion and some of the, I guess, the dynamic. Hopefully without the cracked ribs and the smell of bull, um, we won't bring that into it, but I do want our worship nights that we have here in church to have passion, to have engagement. The pyrotechnics, maybe we'll work on that one. It'd be nice to see those. Ben did say that he'd be quite happy to, uh, to get the pyrotechnics for us in church, but maybe not in the chapel. But I do want us to engage in worship. And now worship nights, the next one... Get this in your diary now. It's on the 24th of November at 7 p.m. We have about an hour's time in the chapel. And we just get around. And the team up here lead us. But we're together. It's not an up here and a down there in the chapel. It's all of us together engaged in worship. So I want to encourage you to be in that environment. Is that okay? Hey, why don't you stand with me as we pray together? Father God, I thank you that we can come around your word. I thank you, God, that we are in this place. We don't have to beg you. We don't, have to, we don't even have to ask you to be with us because you are here. And we know that because your word has promised that where two or three are gathered, then you are there in the middle. And we thank you for that. God, I pray that our hearts will be open. I pray that our minds will be ready. I pray especially for those that don't know you, that it's something that's said, not just in what I say, but how the environment and the experience and the engagement of who we are as a church will cause their minds and hearts to turn 
to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you grab your seats? So there's a couple of times, and I know these are generally monologues that we do here. Apart from when Derek shouts out things at me, um, it's generally a monologue. But there's a couple of things I'm going to ask you, and you can respond. So don't feel bad about shouting something out. So I want to know, what's your favorite movie that you went to the cinema to watch? Shadowlands, Living Daylights. Yeah, what else? Interstellar. That's just weird. Of all the movies in all the world, you chose, you walked into Interstellar. There's another movie reference for those of you that remember Casablanca. What else? Lion King. Oh, yeah. Anyone with me on Top Gun? You see, why didn't you say that then? Wow. Great movie but I think we need to pray for you. (laughs) Sorry? Another great movie. Didn't like the ending. I was pretty shocked at the ending of that and American Sniper. Like, why would they do that? Because it's true, that's why. There was another one. Bambi, was that right? Did someone say Bambi? I sent a picture And I'm in Canada, so I can say this, but if I was in England, there's no way I'd make reference to this. But last year, I went on my first proper hunt and shot my first deer. I sent a picture of that to my mother saying, sorry, mum, I've just killed Bambi's mother. Uh, She's watching that. She won't be very happy right at this moment. But uh, there you go. So can I ask you, how many of you, when you went to the cinema to see it, how many of you went to see it again? Yep, so one. How many of you, maybe even then when it came out on, on TV, not on streaming as, you know, is now, thought, I'm going to watch that again? Yeah, many of us did. It, it's, when we watch a film and we love a film, it's not just for that one time. It's not just for that one moment. But here's the next question. Did you talk to people about it? Did you say, I just saw the most incredible movie? How many of you did that? Yep, a few of you. I'm not asking for an offering. It's okay. Just generally interested. Did you talk to people? Or maybe put it another way. How many of you have been to a good restaurant? Did you tell people about the good restaurant? I went to, Dee and I went to, to Mano's, uh, and we had a meal with Rick, who is the head chef there. It was amazing. I mean, obviously, everyone, because we were having a meal with the head chef and his wife, everyone was like, let's get this right. But it was a great restaurant. And we don't just have a meal and walk away, do we? We generally want to tell someone about it. Or nowadays, what do we do? Tell people about, we're enjoying this environment. Dee and I went to see Top Gun 2, Maverick. 
uh, a while back when it was out in the cinema, and, uh, and I text my friend straight after it saying, we should go and watch this together. We've seen it. Have you seen it? No. Let's go and watch it together. And most of us are the same. If we like something, we, we want to tell people about it, not because we're boasting, but because we want them to experience the same, either the same environment or the same experience that we have had. I told, told you how amazing the rodeo was. I loved it. And I want you, if you're able to, to experience the same thing. Maybe we should do it in here. Now, I want to go to a rush game. People keep saying to me, you should go to a rush game. They're amazing. Why do I want to go to a rush game? Not because I've seen a social media post. Not because I've seen a billboard by the side of the road. But because people are passionate and excited about being there who've experienced it themselves. So just keep that in your mind. I want to give you a bit of our history for those that don't know. Oh, wow. In 2000, Dee and I moved to London. And we moved to London to be part of a church that at that time had about 80 people. Most people at that time hadn't heard of it. Many will have heard of it since then. But at that, that time, and, and really probably most of the time we were there, there was no branding. There was no church growth structure or, or, or strategic plan. It was just a group of people. There was about 80 people in the church at the time. And we went because we loved the passion and the excitement that was there. And when we left, so there was 80 people in 2000. When we left in 2005, there was about 6,000 people there. Now, by any stretch of the imagination, that is huge. That's huge growth. And it's very difficult to replicate. It's very difficult to put plans in place, to put strategies in place for that to happen. But it wasn't the fact that there was hundreds and thousands of people that, that rocked up over a few Sundays or even a few months. But looking back, we could say that was revival. But the thing that made it grow wasn't, there wasn't even really social media in those days. There was a bit here and there, but no one was engaged with it like people are today. It was just, we looked after the people that came along. We loved Jesus. And then those people, we went out and we told our friends. Not just about the church, but if you come here, then the needs that you experience and are experiencing in your life right at this moment could be met. Not just by church, not just by a group of people, but by Jesus. And so people brought people. That, that's, that's the simple thing. There was no, hey, how are we going to do it? How are we going to build this church? It was... How on earth are we going to cope with all these people that keep bringing their friends? That was our leadership nights. That's what we did. And in retrospect, we probably could call it revival, but it wasn't, it wasn't planned for. It was just we created an environment and people were passionate about it and brought their friends along. 
This series that we're in at the moment is about mission. We talked about being given strength for mission by the Holy Spirit. We, last week we heard so well from Bear about mission to the world out there. The international, the countries that sometimes we don't hear about, sometimes we're not allowed to go to, but there is still something going on and international workers from our own denomination are going. Next week we'll hear about mission to our own country through what Howard and Karen are doing with the First Nations churches. But today, I want to talk about mission to my world. Not the world, but mission to my world. I've been reading over the last few weeks and months about the, the revival. I'd never heard of this, but the re revival in North Battleford. I saw a tweet from an American talking about North Battleford, and I thought, that can't be our North Battleford, can it? Because this is a big-time preacher, and he's talking about North Battleford. I've been through North Battleford twice. It's an interesting place. I know McDonald's there. The first time we went through North Battleford, we couldn't really see it because blizzards were happening. We were going skiing to Table Mountain, or Table Lump, as it should be called. <laughs> so when I thought, when I, I read North Battleford, I thought, he can't be talking about our North Battleford, but he was. He was referencing the revival that happened there in 1949 and spread across Saskatoon. And then I read about the Saskatoon revival in 1971 that literally started in Ebenezer Church and then very quickly spread to our church. We, we stopped our missions weekend for the first time. We'd never done that before as the Alliance. I think it was University Drive then or one of the churches, I can't remember, but it was, we'd never done that. We'd never, but there was something happening and we as a church engaged with the revival. Revival is about a spiritual awakening, first in the church, but then people coming to God. And we can, we can rightly pray for Revival. And many of us have grown up with the stories of Billy Graham and we see the videos and Things that happen there, but do you know what it can lead to sometimes when we engage too much with that stuff? It's lazy Christianity. Because we look at that and we think, let's leave that to the professionals. That's what we do. We leave that stuff to the professionals. When your furnace needs fixing, leave it to the professionals. When your roof needs recovered, let's leave it to the professionals. When the oil needs changing in your car, I lift the hood and go, I have no idea where anything is anymore. And I used to be able to change a gearbox by myself. Leave it to the professionals. Want to see your friends come to know Jesus? Leave it to the professionals. But here's the thing. When we experience something good, we've admitted already that we want to tell people about it. We go to a nice restaurant, we want to tell people about it. We go and see a great film, we want to tell people about it. If we told something, or if we told someone about an event, a product, or even another person, we're actually evangelists. So when we say, oh, I'm not an evangelist, I don't tell people about things, we are. 
because we all want to do it. It's inbuilt into us to, I want you to experience this same thing that I have done. So we don't leave evangelism or mission for the professionals. See, Billy Graham was only as effective as those people, those followers of Jesus that brought their friends to a Billy Graham event. We, we can pray for those types of revivals that we've seen in the past. We can pray for the Acts 2 revival where 3,000 people were added that one day. But we often forget about the daily adding. I don't need to do anything. Let God do it all. He's the professional. Let Derek do it. He's the professional. Let those people do it. And sometimes God does it all. But more often he's waiting for us to tell people about the goodness of his son. I used to have a verse on my, from Proverbs on my office wall back in the UK. It says this, prepare the horse for battle, but the victory is the Lord's. Do what we can and believe God for the victory. We're believing for revival, but can we believe for one at a time? We pray for the revival, but can we bring people one at a time? The church, and as an individual follower of Jesus, we have been given purpose and mission. Jesus simply said this, Matthew 28, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them what I have said. There's no, there's no exclusion calls there. Oh, you don't understand my setting. You don't understand the difficulty of my job. You don't understand my family situation. You don't know how many kids that I've got to get up and get to school and then get home and get them to sports and then get them to youth. No, no, God said, go make disciples of all nations. It does seem like a daunting task, but can we tell the person at work that Jesus loves them? Can can we express that in the same passion and excitement? And I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this to me, okay? This This is what God is saying to me, but also saying through me to us. Can I just tell people that Jesus loves them? And then invite them into an environment where that's really evident that Jesus loves us. Maybe you're wondering why I have this strange picture of a Cadillac behind me as a backdrop to our sermon. Some of you will remember Johnny Cash. He wrote a song called One Piece at a Time. And essentially it was a a song about this guy who worked on a Cadillac assembly line and decided that he wanted a Cadillac but would never be able to afford one. So he stole a Cadillac. Now, I'm not advocating stealing, okay? It's against one of the Ten Commandments. But I love the concept that he stole a Cadillac, one piece at a time, (laughs) over many, many years. 
Jesus doesn't see us as that, the church. That's what we are, essentially. Just a bit here, a bit from a Cadillac in 69, and a, you know, a front fender from 70, and wheels and, and the axle from 61. We're just weird. But Jesus sees us as his beautiful bride. He sees us, yes, in our brokenness and scars. And maybe some of you are wondering, where do I fit in this place? Am I useful? Maybe you feel broken and scarred or broken and scared even. But stay with me because I want you to listen because I believe this message is for every single person in this room. It's for the broken and scarred and scared as well as the seasoned Christians, who maybe, maybe for some of you, you don't have a problem with doing any of this. But this is how we are. Often we're like this, a put together bits from all over the place, because we're a come-as-you-are church, a bit, sometimes a lot, messed up and odd I remember my friend, we used to call him Spider because he loved Spider-Man. And as he grew up, people just called him Spider and he was a fitness guru and went through some stuff. I met this woman, an incredible young woman and like decided to get married and I was, I was stood at the front. I had the privilege of, of uh, marrying Spider. And he was stood there and as he turned round, as his bride entered the room, he just blubbered. He looked at her with such intensity and love and looked at her beauty. You see, when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see that. He sees. He sees us in the same way that Spider saw his bride. In all her beauty, in all her glory. Is she perfect? No. But that's how Jesus sees us. We want to see the kingdom of God expanded one person at a time. How do we do that? We simply tell people who are broken, hurting, needing love needing community, needing forgiveness, where they can find that. Yes, they find it in the person of Jesus, but they also find it here in our church. I love my church. They find it in this community. There's always a challenge with a message like this that because we have a mission and calling, but I don't want people to do it out of an obligation. Spider didn't marry Vicky out of obligation. He married her out of love. Can we introduce people to Jesus? Not because, oh, John's been talking about mission again. I suppose I better tell someone about Jesus. That's not passion and excitement. See, we've been called into relationship with Jesus who loves us, who heals our brokenness. And we've been called into relationship with each other. 
And our life should be defined by our love for each other and the grace that we both receive and give. And grace is what God does in our lives that we, don't, we completely don't deserve. I just briefly want to speak about an overlooked disciple. But he's one of my favorite disciples. Hardly anyone speaks or preaches about Andrew. You can find messages and preaching and sermons all over the place on Peter and John, many of the others, but where does Andrew fit in? He's often overlooked, maybe a bit like you. Maybe that's how you feel, slightly overlooked. The middle child, maybe. He was known... I'm sure, I'm sure when it comes, comes to heaven and he sits down with the other disciples and he, he says, why did you define me as Simon Peter's brother? Let's have a conversation, can we? I am 17 years older than my brother. I was on this earth 17 years before he arrived. He is my brother. I'm not his this is therapy for me. I'm working this through, okay? Because I became known as Jay's brother. He's the great worship leader. Oh, yes. All the glory. Oh, you're Jay's brother. No. He's my brother. I pushed him in the pram. But I bet that's how Andrew felt. I'm just Simon Peter's brother. He's not Judas, the bad boy. He's not Simon, Peter, the alpha male. And we can pass him by and overlook that he's actually one of the most central players in the whole discipleship range. See, he was the one that brought Simon Peter to Jesus. When we, when we read of Andrew, he's literally, I think he's mentioned five times and three times. Three of those, I've put up four fingers there. Three of those times, he's bringing people to Jesus. We pass him by and overlook him because he's not what's deemed the central player, but actually, he just brought people to Jesus. That's all we read about him. You see, Simon Peter brought the boy who had the five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. I wonder how many other disciples saw the five loaves and two fishes and thought, there's not enough there. I'll just leave that. He brought, firstly, he saw something in Jesus and brought his brother to Jesus. Family can be the hardest people to bring to Jesus at times. But the first thing he did was went and found his brother. Then Philip, who's also a bringer of people, brought a group of Greeks who wanted to meet Jesus, but... Philip brought them to Andrew, who brought them to Jesus. See, I think we need a bit more of Andrew in our lives. Everyone wants to walk on water. Great. But actually, we need more of Andrew, who just brought people to Jesus. When we look at people's lives, do we see do we see the little or do we see maybe if I bring this person to Jesus, imagine what Jesus could do with them healed and whole 
Imagine what Jesus could do with the little that's there. Andrew brought Peter. Let me read that. John 1, 35 to 42 says this. The next day John was there again. John the Baptist. Again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They'd been following at that time John the Baptist. He was their rabbi and he'd been following them and listening to him. And as as soon as he said, Hey, look. That's the one I've been talking about. They left their leader and followed Jesus. Many of them didn't at that time, but two did. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, here we go, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, I am not, I am my own person, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who, and who had followed Jesus. The first, thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See, we know a lot about Peter. We know some of his mess-ups and often putting his foot in his mouth, but it was Andrew that brought him to Jesus. Andrew, the searcher, he was looking for something. He saw something in John the Baptist, firstly, and he followed him. Then when John the Baptist pointed him to Jesus, he saw something in Jesus that no one else saw, and he followed him. He saw something in the young boy that caused him to take the young boy with the five loaves and two fishes and say, Jesus, there's not a lot here, but maybe, maybe you could do something. When you look at your friends, do you see, well, I don't know that God could do anything with them, or do you think, wow, what could Jesus do with that life transformed? We don't hear of Andrew preaching much through history. What we do know from oral history, is that he did go and be a missionary and that he was killed by his, for his faith, but he was a connector of people. Oh, I need you to meet so-and-so. Then we read about Philip. He brought Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Let me read John 1 again. 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. This is Nathanael. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Jesus knew stuff about people. But he didn't berate Nathanael for his comment about Nazareth. He said this, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Wow. You see, we can, or maybe even people around Nathanael thought, he's just a misery guts. Here's, 
He doesn't believe in anything, but Jesus saw something different in him. That's why Philip brought Nathanael to Jesus. Maybe Jesus could do something. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There must have been something about Andrew and Philip's lives that caused Peter and Nathanael firstly to believe them and then secondly to follow them to Jesus. Yes, Jesus called certain people directly, but many people, when we read through the Gospels, many people were brought to Jesus to be healed by others. That's the story. People brought people to Jesus. Are we doing the same or are we relying on social media? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come back. He's commissioned us. He's given us a task. He's given us a message. He's handed it over to us, not social media, not radio and TV advertising you, me. See, yes, we have some great tools at our disposal, but 2,000 years we have done without them. And we have invited people to meet Jesus in an environment. We are Christ's ambassadors making his appeal through us. People brought those that needed Jesus to Jesus. Can we do the same? Can I, can I suggest here as well that when we stop doing that, when we stop fulfilling our mission, other issues become more important to us. It's not that other issues aren't important, but they become more important than our mission. We, we find more and more things that are wrong. The old phrase, the devil makes work for idle hands, begins to ring true. The fourth century theologian, Jerome, put it this way. He said, do something so that the devil may always find you busy. This environment of church is not for my or your personal growth. It will affect your personal growth. But it's not just for that. It is for your neighbor as well. It is for your family member as well. It is for that person at school or at university as well. Do you know who's going to bring your neighbor, your friend, your colleague to Jesus? You. I am not going to be able to reach the person at your workplace or your university. That's your mission, your world. My world is not your world. Mission is not just going into all the world, it is going into your world. So what is your world? What, what is your world? Your workplace, your family. Maybe that regular place you have at the coffee bar. Are we bringing Jesus into those places? Or has the, the environment of the world so constricted us that we've believed that, that old adage, religion is just your private thing. You believe what you want and I'll believe what, we, what I want. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Is Jesus attractive in your life? Firstly, is he attractive to you? If I'd gone to the rodeo last night and it was boring, I probably wouldn't have told you about it. Maybe in a derisory way I might. But I loved it. It was awesome. So I'm telling you about it. Are we not telling people about Jesus because he's not attractive to us? But then we've got to ask ourselves, is he, not only is he attractive to me personally, but is he attractive in me personally? What's make, what makes your life, my life, attractive isn't a sanitized, airbrushed, filtered, social media perfect life. Sometimes it's the scars of our brokenness where we've been healed and or are on a journey that makes us most attractive. It's living a life of grace and forgiveness, forgiveness both in us and through us. Grace in us and through us. I love Acts 4, where it says they realized these men had been with Jesus. I'd love that to be who we are as a church, both corporately and individually. Not saying we're not. But I'd love that to continue to be the thing. Oh, they've been with Jesus. Barnabas saw the evidence. In Acts 11, Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God in people's lives. Grace appeared. And grace offers salvation. Titus 2.10 tells us to live our lives in such a way that the people around us will find the gospel of Jesus attractive. Our lives make the good news of the grace of Jesus attractive to people. Like Andrew and Philip, we bring people to Jesus. We prepare the horse for battle, but the victory is always God's. David, if you could come back, that would be great. As we live in grace, our life becomes more and more attractive to people around. The kingdom grows. Revival happens, not en masse generally, but one at a time as we bring them to Jesus. Christ is still making his appeal through us. Can we just be crazy enough to believe that our cities can be changed when we bring people to Jesus one at a time? They will already know him because they know you and they see him, his love, his grace, his forgiveness in you. In me, in us. So what is our prayer as we go tomorrow back to work, to our families today, to our schools and universities? It is this. Colossians 4, verse 4. Pray. This is what Paul was praying. and This is the same verse that Bear used last week. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The message says this. I love this. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ as plain as day to them. You see, if we're, if we're going to make Christ as plain as day to other people, he's got to be as plain as day to us. So let's step back from that prayer maybe for making him as plain as day. God, make yourself. Jesus, make yourself as plain as day to me. Let me know you as I am known. Make Jesus Christ, his, his love, his grace, his healing, his mercy, his acceptance, plain as day 
See, people may come in by themselves. And over the summer, we have seen people come in. Over the summer, because they've moved to Stonebridge. But my prayer, yes, that that will continue. But my prayer more than that is that we will be Andrews and Phillips. That we will bring people in one at a time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. I pray, God, that we, we as your followers will know you more. And as we know you more, as we experience you more, as we have more of you, we will become more like you. And as we become more like you, our lives become more attractive to those around us. Not because we're perfect, but because we're healed. I pray that we will never forget we are commissioned. We are on mission. We have purpose. Even in our brokenness and our scars, I pray and I thank you, God, that you look on us as Spider looked at Vicky as she walked down the aisle. And I pray that as we look back at you, we will see you in your beauty, in your love, in your grace, in your forgiveness, that we will know you more. 